many came to glorify him? I came to glorify him. Well, we're wrapping up our sermon series on the 23rd Psalm, which, as most of you know, is the most famous psalm of them all. Uh, I actually told you the first week that a psalm is actually a song. Do you realize that? So with that said, and this being the most popular of all the psalms, this has been at the top of the charts for over 2,500 years. It's the most read and the most recited psalms of them all. It's a psalm that gives us comfort and peace when we're going through times of trials, tests, struggles, sorrow, sickness, whatever it might be. And it's a psalm that if you truly take the time to meditate on it, it seems to soothe whatever pain that you're going through. And guess what? It's only six verses long. Some of these uh, psalms are really long. This one is six verses long, but says so much. And we're going to cover the last verse today, verse 6, and it's one of my favorite. And I think it's because David and God wrap things up so gracefully in this psalm. Listen to what it says. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How awesome is that? That is amazing when you think about it, when you meditate on it. Before I get into my message, though, I want to tell you about my little dog, Lady. I want to tell you about my little dog, Lady. She is uh, my dog, for sure. She's an Australian Shepherd. I've had her since she was a puppy. Uh, we've gotten, both gotten a little grayer over the years. But she's instinctively a herding dog, which means that she has a built-in mechanism to want to herd. Um, Lady has herded our horses probably most of her entire life. Uh, Sometimes during the day, I'll let the horses out on the pasture to graze, and at night, I like to bring them in up close to the barn to put them in the dry lot for the night. I've had to go out and get them myself a few times, but most of the time not because Lady's been there. Uh, Whenever I go out to the barn... She's all excited. Her tail is wagging. She's wiggling. She's excited because guess what? She's going to work. She loves to work. And all I have to do is say, go get them, lady. It may be in the dark of the night and she's gone and she takes off out into that pasture and they may be way out in that pasture. Uh, She finds them. And when she gets to them, guess what she does? She does her dance. She actually starts circling the horses Nipping at them, jumping at them, nipping at their heels, barking, getting them to move. Sometimes they do move, but move in the wrong direction. Well, she doesn't give up. She circles them again, nips at them, barks at them, jumps at them, finally gets them going in the right direction. And when she gets them running toward the barn, I can hear them coming. Uh, They're kicking at her. She's dodging them. I don't know how she's dodged their kicks for 15 years, but she has. She gets running, kicking up. Uh, They're kicking at her. She's right on their heels. And if one of them veers off in the wrong direction, she leaves the one that's going in the right direction and goes after the one that's in the wrong direction, gets them back on track. And let me just say she is relentless until she gets both of those horses to the barn. She is totally relentless in her pursuit. With that said, let me go back to my scripture. If the Lord is our good shepherd and we are to follow him, then I'll just say there are two Australian shepherds nipping at our heels, keeping us on track when we follow the shepherd, and their names just happen to be Goodness and Mercy. Are you tracking with me? Two Australian shepherds named Goodness and Mercy, uh, nipping at our heels, keeping us on track with God. Now, I want you to notice that both Goodness and Mercy, we are told, follow us. Think about that. They're following us. 
The Hebrew word for follow literally means to pursue. So what's this scripture actually telling us? It's telling me that God's goodness and mercy are chasing after us. They're running after us. They're nipping at our heels, not just now and then, but all the days of our lives to keep us on track, to keep us on the right path. I think our problems as human beings come in when we have some wrong thinking when it comes to God. A lot of us only see God as this faraway God. He's up there in heaven, probably sitting on his heavenly throne. But the truth is, oh, he's up there in heaven, but he doesn't just stay up there in heaven and remain in heaven. And David knew that. David knew that God was a God who follows us, who pursues us, who runs after us, who tracks us down. David actually saw God as a mobile God, a God on the move. Let me ask you, how do you see your God? Is he just a stationary God up there in heaven and can't leave heaven? Or is he a mobile God, a God on the move? Well, if you don't think he's a God on the move, let me take you back to the book of Genesis. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? They went hiding in the bushes, not just to cover their nakedness, but to cover their sin. Well, God did not wait for them to come to him. Guess what? He went walking in the garden to go to them. He went walking into the garden. He asked them a question, where are you? You can't tell me God didn't know where they were. He knew where they were. He still asked them the question. But my point is, he went after them. They didn't come to him. Then there was Moses. Remember when he was out in the desert? He looked up and there was a bush blazing with fire. Let's just say God followed Moses into the desert. Fast forward to the New Testament. The disciples are out in the middle of the sea and a storm comes up. Who shows up? God. God follows them into their storm. Lazarus, who was dead for three days and put in his burial tomb, when he heard Jesus say, Lazarus, get up, he got up, God followed him even unto death. With all that said, and those are just a few examples, with all of that said, let me just say God follows us. God is a God who will follow us and his goodness and mercy chase after us, not just now and then when God's in the mood, when he feels like it, All the days of our lives, His goodness and mercy follow us. That's an incredible promise, that He's just not a hit and a miss God. He's an all-the-time God, goodness and mercy, I promise you, will follow you all the days of your life. That's how I see God's mercy. That's how I see God's goodness. And you know the thing is, when you're believing and trusting in God, you don't have to fear the future because His goodness and mercy are always with us every day. You know, When you're following a God that's a good shepherd, he's out in front of us. And as I said a few weeks ago, with his rod and his staff in his hand, but then he's got two helpers. He's got two Australian shepherds nipping at our heels, keeping us on track, keeping us from falling into a ravine named goodness and mercy. God keeps us on track all the days of our lives to help follow the shepherd. So he's just not up there leading. He's got us covered from front to back. That's a comforting thought to me. Think about this. Goodness supplies our needs. Mercy is there to forgive our sins. Goodness is there to provide. Mercy is there to pardon. Think about that. Mercy is there to provide our needs. I mean, goodness is there to provide our needs, but mercy is there to pardon. For all the times and ways that we've sinned, fallen short, disappointed God, fell short, made mistakes, we deserve punishment. Amen? But instead, God pardoned us. He showed us favor. He forgives us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I said all that to say that is the perfect definition of mercy. 
and a lot of mercy. It's undeserved favor. You know it's God's nature to be merciful? Have you realized that? He loves to show his mercy. He never gets tired of it. He never gets bored with it. He never gets frustrated with us because we're going back for more mercy. And let me just put your mind at ease. God's not the kind of God that says, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you goodness Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'll give you uh, mercy Tuesdays and Thursdays, and Saturday and Sunday you're on your own. No, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. He's with us every day, every step of the way. So in verse 6, I want to give you some that are taking notes. I believe there are three things that we need to remember. The first one is, God's goodness is watching over you. God's goodness is watching over us. Do you realize there's not been one moment that has passed in your life that God hasn't been watching over you? Do you realize that? And God is watching over you. Even when we're not paying attention to Him, God is watching over us. He is careful for us, watching out for us, concerned about us. And you know why? Because He created us. And he loves us. He knows our highs and lows. He knows the goods and bads that we've been through. He knows the ups and downs. Our God, realize it or not, knows every detail of your life. And when I say every, I mean every. From the beginning of your life to the end of your life and beyond, God knows every detail of your life. Psalms 145 verse 20 says, The Lord watches over all who love him. The Lord watches over all who love him. You realize not only does he watch over us, but he also protects us. The Bible even says in the book of Psalms that he puts his angels in charge over us to be with us, to protect us wherever we go, wherever we are. Do you realize God's protection doesn't just mean that only good things will happen? Some people have that idea that just since I'm following him, only good things will happen. That's not the case. Suffering and disappointment are still going to come in our lives. We live in a real world. We live in a fallen world. But God will make sure that good will come out of whatever happens when you're following him. Did you catch that? God will make sure that good will come out of everything that happens to us because he's got goodness and mercy following up from behind. And if the Lord is your shepherd, goodness will come out of whatever happens. And I'm speaking to somebody here today because you're in a bad situation and no matter how bad your situation is, do you realize that God can turn that around for good? You might have this feeling of giving up and quitting and throwing in the towel and saying, I can't handle this anymore, and you can't, but God can. This morning, I will just tell you that no matter how bad it looks, don't give up. Don't quit because God can bring some good out of it, and he desires to bring good out of it. He's already got good planned out of it if you'll trust him. With that said, I love this scripture, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know, that means all of us, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love him, and called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for the good to them who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him this morning? Do you believe you're called according to his purpose? Then he's going to bring good out of bad situations. He's working all things, good and bad, for your good and for his glory. The second point I want to bring out today, if you're taking notes, God's grace is working in you. I love how verse 6 starts out with the word surely. Notice he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. He doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say possibly. He says surely. You know, I can look back on my life, 
And I can thank God over and over again for all the goodness and mercy that he has shown into my life. And I'll just say all the days of my life. Even when I wasn't tracking with him, he was tracking with me. Amen? Even when I didn't give him the glory, when I wasn't giving him any credit, when I wasn't looking his way, he was looking my way. With goodness and mercy following up behind, even when I wasn't following him, he had me surrounded with his goodness, and with his mercy, with his love, and all that he is. God's goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. If the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to face your future with a question mark. Do you realize that? You can face it with an exclamation point. And you know why? Because we can have the confidence that no matter what we're going through, we, God's got it. God's got us surrounded. We're following Him. He's in front of us. We've got angels around us, and we've got goodness and mercy. Those two Australian shepherds nipping at our heels to keep us on track to follow Him all the days of our life. And guess what? We need both goodness and mercy. You realize we need goodness for our steps, and we need a whole lot of mercy for our stumbles. How many have ever stumbled? Any angels in here? I don't think so. We need His mercy for our stumbles in life. The Bible says in Isaiah 60, verse 10, I love this, I will have mercy on you through my grace. That's God making us a promise. He says, I will have mercy on you through my grace. You know, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Amen? When He doesn't give us what we do deserve. None of us know what's going to happen next week. None of us know what's going to happen uh, next year, let alone 10 years from now. But let me tell you, if you're following God, I can guarantee you that He's going to fill your life with His goodness, and His mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. His presence is going to be there in such a way that when you face your biggest enemies, guess what? You don't have to fear because God's got you covered. God's got it from front to back, side to side. He's got it covered. One of my favorite scriptures is Lamentations 3.22. says, through the Lord's mercies. Whose mercies? The Lord's mercies. We are not consumed. Wow. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Did you catch that? His mercies aren't new just when he's in the mood. His mercies aren't new just when he feels like it. His mercies are new for each one of us every day. New mercies. I am thankful that his mercies are new every day because every one of us and everyone in this world needs his mercy every day of our lives. Amen? Whether we admit it or not, we need his mercy. Think about this. Think about how a parent follows a little child around always picking up after them. You know, I think that's a perfect picture of God. He's following us around, picking after us. He's constantly picking up after our messes. We make mistakes. We blow it. We get things out of order. And there comes God, picking it all up, putting it back together, putting the pieces back together, taking care of our messes. That's the definition of mercy. Amen? The mercy of God. How many have ever seen your life in a mess? Most of us could raise both hands, right? Our lives have been in a mess. But God has taken care of our messes. Thank God He doesn't turn His goodness and mercy on and off like a light switch. Amen? He's not good one day and bad the next. He's not merciful one day and unmerciful uh, the next. All the days of our lives, we can know without a doubt that we can experience His goodness. We can experience His mercy all the days of our life. Max Lucado once told a story about a man by the name of Eric Hill. Eric had everything going for him, for anyone that was uh, headed towards success. 
Uh, he was 28 years old, a recent college graduate, was very athletic, had a very loving family, had several girlfriends, but even though Eric uh, appeared composed, on the, inside, on the outside, he was tormented on the inside. Because on a rainy morning in February of 1982, Eric Hill walked out the back door of his Florida home to never return. His sister saw him walk out the back door and thought he would return. He didn't. She thought he would call. He didn't. Sixteen years later, sixteen years later, Eric was found to be a homeless person walking along an interstate in San Antonio, Texas, picking up trash. His weathered skin and stooped shoulders made him look twice his 44 years of age. The emergency workers found Eric laying alongside the road, clutching his stomach, took him to the hospital. They ran some tests, and they found out that Eric had cancer, terminal cancer. Another few months, and he would be dead. And with no family, no relatives, he would die alone. Well, his court-appointed attorney couldn't stand the thought of that, so he got on the Internet. He scoured the Internet to see if there might possibly some be someone that was looking for a middle-aged, brown-haired man whose name was Hill. Last name was Hill. That's how he met Debbie, Eric's sister. Debbie came to Texas, she and her husband and two children, and they rented a hotel room and set out to find Eric. By that time, he had left the hospital. They didn't know where to find him, but the chaplain of the hospital kind of had an idea where he might be. They found him sitting against a building not far from the interstate, and as they approached, Eric stood up. They offered him fruit, but he refused. They offered him juice to drink, but he uh, declined. He was polite, but unimpressed with this family that claimed to be his own. But his interest perked, though, when his sister Debbie offered a, a him a pen to wear. It was a pen of an angel, and he said yes. This was the first time in 16 years that Debbie had touched her brother when she was able to pin that angel on his shirt. Debbie intended to just spend a week there, but a week passed, and she stayed. Her husband returned home. She stayed. Spring became summer. Eric improved, and she still stayed. Debbie rented a department and began to homeschool her kids, still reaching out to her brother. But it wasn't easy because he still didn't really recognize her. He still really didn't trust her. He still really didn't know her. And one day, out of the blue, he starts cursing at her. Out of the blue, he says, I don't want to live in your apartment anymore. Out of the blue, he says, I don't want to eat your food anymore. Out of the blue, he says, I don't want uh, to talk to you anymore. He wanted to go back to that vacant lot or along the interstate, pick up trash. He wanted to go back to his old job. Did Debbie give up? No, Debbie didn't give up. She understood that he didn't understand, so she stayed. Max Lucado said that Debbie visited his church one time and told her story. And he asked her a question that you might be wondering this morning. How do you keep from giving up? She said it was simple. He's my brother. He's my brother. Lucado told her that her pursuit reminded him of another pursuit. Her kind heart reminded him of another kind heart. Another kind heart who left his home in search of the hurting and the lost. Another kind heart who couldn't bear the thought of a brother or sister in pain. So like Debbie, he left home. Like Debbie, he found his sibling. We all know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And think about it, when Jesus found us, many of us acted just like Eric. We also didn't recognize him as the one who came to save us. Maybe we even doubted his presence. Maybe we still do today. But how does our God deal with our doubts? I think it's simple. He follows us. 
As Debbie followed Eric, God follows us. And guess what? God pursues us until we realize Him as our Heavenly Father, even if it takes all the days of our life. God will not give up. He's that lady nipping at our heels, and if we get off track, He gets us back on track. He's our God that will never get up, no matter how far we wander from Him. God is near to us. God is right there with goodness and mercy following us. God is right there with everything. He's God with a heart that is so huge to love us in a way that we can't even imagine. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And by the way, the last chapter of Eric's life is actually the best chapter. Days before he died, he recognized Debbie as his sister. And in doing so, he discovered his home. Guess what? We will too someday. We will discover our true home someday. Like Eric, we've doubted our helper. We all have. But like Debbie, God has followed us. Like Eric, we've gone astray and we've walked away. But like Debbie, God is slow to anger and determined to stay. Like Eric, we don't accept God's gifts. But like Debbie, God keeps giving them. Amen? He keeps giving them and giving them. He gives us His angels. And they're not just angels pinned to our lapel. There are angels that he sets across our paths to protect us, to lead us, and to guide us. And most of all, God gives us himself. Do you realize that? Even when we reject him, he still follows us. Never giving up, never forcing us, never leaving us. Always patient, always faithful, always kind. Using everything in his power to convince us that he, he is who he is and that we can trust Him to truly lead us home. Let me say, His goodness and mercy following us is a promise. It's just not empty words, it's a promise from God. But look at this last part of the verse. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brings me to my last point, point number three. The best is yet to come. You realize the best is yet to come. You know, it really blesses me as I go through this psalm, study this psalm, that God in six verses saved his best for last. And I say that because David is actually talking about heaven. David had a blessed assurance to know that he knew that he knew that he knew without a doubt when he died, he was going to go to heaven. He knew that, and his very words tell us that he knew that because he doesn't say, I hope to dwell, or I might dwell, I might possibly dwell. He says, no, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The great news is that promise wasn't just for David. You and I can say the same thing with confidence. You and I can know the same thing, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we as followers of Christ, we as believers, I think we ought to think a whole lot more about heaven than we do. Amen? Because heaven, we treat it like it's just a destination. It's not a destination. It's a present day motivation for every day of our life. To know that there's a heaven coming ought to be a motivation for us to live with all of our heart, to love Him and to serve Him. Way back in the very beginning of this series, I started with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means, not, doesn't mean that we shouldn't want Him. That means that He'll supply everything that we need. When we're hungry, He'll lead us beside or to the green pastures. When we're thirsty, He'll lead us beside the quiet waters. When we're down, guess what? He's going to pick us up. He's going to lead us down the right paths. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there to protect us with his rod and his staff in, our hand, in his hand. And when we're surrounded by our enemies, we can sit at his table and eat at peace 
because we know that he's with us. Amen? And he, he makes us another promise. He promises that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life here on this earth. And he shows us how good and wonderful it is to know him, to love him, to serve him, to seek him, to praise him, to just give him of yourself. But David, when he closes this psalm, he closes it by telling us, if the Lord is our shepherd, the best is yet to come. If the Lord is your shepherd, no matter how bad it looks right now, you ought to be encouraged. Because no matter how hindsight looks, look ahead. Because God's got some good things. God's got some great things. God's got some best, best things for you ahead in your life. I love Philippians 3.20. It says, our homeland is where? In heaven. Our real homeland is in heaven. With that said, look around you. This earth is not our home. And some of us have probably gotten a little homesick for heaven at times. And sad to say, a lot of that reason is because you've gone through some major tragedies in your life. Maybe some of you have lost a spouse. Maybe some of you have lost a child. Maybe some of you have seen a loved, seen a loved one die of a horrible sickness or disease. Ecclesiastes 3.11 gives us some promise. that says, God has set eternity. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. What's that tell us? Deep down in every person ever created, there's this deep down gnawing, this deep down feeling that I'm not home yet. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. Because heaven is being with God continually. Where there's no sin, in a place where there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no Satan, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, and there's no death. I have to say, uh, it's a hard thing when we see one of our uh, parishioners hospitalized. It's even harder when we pray for a healing and we don't see it happen the way we want, and sometimes it goes seemingly that totally the opposite, and sometimes they pass on. But I do know that God hears every prayer, and that when we pray, they're still healed. And when they pass on, they've actually received the ultimate healing. And think about this. Our bodies are weak. Every day that we're alive is another day that we're dying. Think about it. Every day that we're alive is another day that we're dying. But the belie for the believer, this isn't not, is not the end. This earth is not our forever home. These bodies are not our forever bodies. They serve us temporarily, but they're only temporary. temporary. I mean, they're just here for a moment. Deep down, I believe we're all homesick for something more because God has prepared and planned for something more. And don't forget this. This has brought me a lot of comfort over the years. Heaven's going to be a place of a big reunion. You realize that? A great reunion someday. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Together with them, we will be reunited with loved ones who have gone before us. We will meet our mothers and fathers, our brothers and sisters, loved ones, a child who died, we will see them again and spend eternity together with Jesus. You know, it's okay to have sorrow. It's okay to grieve. But we as Christians and followers of Christ, we don't grieve as those without hope. We grieve with absolute hope. Amen? And I believe that we're probably going to get to heaven, some of us, and we're going to be shocked at who else got to heaven. Amen? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I read this cute little poem, and listen to this one. It says, when you get to heaven, you will doubtless view... Many whose presence there will be a shock to you. Do not look around. Do not even stare. Doubtless, there will be many surprised that you are there. Amen? <laughs> you know, it might be awkward when you get to heaven. I'm just using my imagination. But it might be awkward if somebody looks at you and their mouth drops open and says, I can't believe you made it. How did you get here? 
Let me tell you what my answer is going to be. I don't know what yours is going to be, but by the grace of God, go I. Amen? I'm here because His goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. You're just like me. We didn't deserve to get there. But God made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Through God's goodness and His mercy. Well, there was a woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. She had been given just three months to live. So she was getting her affairs in order. She called up her pastor and asked him to come over to the house to prepare her funeral plans and uh, for him to see what she wanted done. One of the things she asked him was to be buried with her favorite Bible. And it seemed as if they had talked it all out and had all the plans made and the pastor was getting ready to leave. When the woman suddenly remembered something, uh, she said, Pastor, wait a minute, this is so important to me. One more thing. And he said, well, what is it? Uh, she said, this is important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. <laughs> the pastor looked at her for a moment like she had totally lost it. Didn't know quite what to say. But the woman said, I know, Pastor, you think it's strange. But in all my years of attending church socials and going to potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were cleared, someone would always lean over to me and say, keep the fork, keep the fork. She said, that was my favorite part, because I knew something better was coming, whether it was chocolate cake, banana pudding, uh, uh, apple pie. She knew that something wonderful and something great was coming. She said, when people walk past my casket, Pastor, and see that fork in my hand, and they get that look on their face where they're saying, what's with the fork? I want you to say to them, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Well, the pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy, and he gave that a woman, a, one last hug before he left. Shortly after, she passed away. Pastor went to the funeral home, and he stood beside her casket. Time after time, people would come by, and they would see her in her beautiful dress. They would see her favorite Bible tucked at her side. Then they would see the fork in her right hand. And time after time, the pastor would hear people say, what's with the fork? Time after time, including in his funeral message, he stood before the people and he said, this lady had the Lord as her shepherd. And because of that, the best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. I challenge you, the next time you reach down for your fork, if you're a follower of Christ, that if God is your shepherd, if you're his sheep, I want you to realize, because of that, the best is yet to come. You realize that one day, all of us, if God doesn't come back and rapture us out of here before then, all of us are going to take our last breath here. We're going to slip away from this world, and we're going to take our first breath in heaven. And do you realize the first face that we're going to see when we open up our eyes is the face of our Lord Jesus Christ? And I believe he's going to take one of those nail-scarred hands and wipe the final tear from our eye, and he's going to look at us, and he's going to say, welcome home. The best is yet to come. He's going to look at us and say, welcome home, come and dine, sit at my table. Could you stand your feet today? You know, death is not the end, and I don't mean to be, end on a down note. I want to end on a high note, amen? Because God has set eternity in the hearts of all of us. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for all the hope and the promise that we have found in this six verse, this six verses of the 23rd Psalm. Lord, I pray that every day we would experience the fullness of you, our good shepherd. Help us to follow you and trust, on, trust in you and depend on you every day of our life. 
Help us to realize you're not a God that's way up there in heaven just sitting on your throne. You are in control and you are in charge. But Lord God, you're with us every day of our lives. Lord, you go before us, your word says. You follow behind us. You surround us every day with your goodness. Father, I pray that every heart in here would draw closer to you than we've ever been before. So that just like David, we could say without a shadow of a doubt, the Lord is my shepherd. We can know like David that we are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you that these words are inspiring. These, life, these words are life-changing. We give you thanks. We give you praise for all of your goodness, your angels surrounding us, you going before us with your rod and your staff. We thank you that you supply our needs each and every day of our lives. Help us, Lord, to be thankful today like we've never been thankful before. And help me to spread the good news of the love of our shepherd everywhere we go. In Jesus' mighty name, if you agree with that, just say amen with me. Go out and have a blessed week. Walk in the power of your shepherd. Amen.